Yes, guys, welcome back to the Original Judo Podcast. I am James Austin, and I'm delighted to be joined by my two guests today. This is our second attempt at recording this. Um, we are revisited by our old friend, Mr. Connor Anders. Connor, how are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. Last time Connor came on the show, he was talking about his progress towards Paris Paralympics. Um, so we're going to catch up a little bit about that. Get some exciting news about his downgrade. No spoilers there. I already ruined the story. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're also joined by um little training partner, the man he beats up on a regular basis. I've got Josh Till. And Josh is a relative newcomer to judo. Josh, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks James, thanks for having me. I love it. <laughs> now in my head, guys, and I'm definitely not going to do this in post-production, because there is no post-production, but I'm going to um, try and add in some sound effects so it comes back to something like that um, episode of Family Guy. Connor and the new... Oh, 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 You're here with Dingo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> baby. I basically brought him on just to chat shit to him. <laughs> Connor, yeah. congratulations, mate. I hear you got your black belt a couple of weeks ago. I did, finally, yeah. It was, uh, it was, <coughs> it's good to get it. Um, Fitz gave it to me a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, I was very happy, to be fair. It's, take, it's taken a while. Had all the points uh, for ages um, and got the, fi- uh, the paperwork done, finally, so... No, I love it. And uh, been been sporting it on the mat, and I hear people have been threatening to take it off you already. You've only had it oh, two yeah. or three weeks. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, how have things been progressing to towards Paris twenty twenty four? I know you. There's not been a few, not been many events recently. Um, but you've got a couple of big ones coming up. Yeah. So since we last spoke, I think. I, don't, I can't remember, did we speak before or after the Europeans? Um, I think it was after. Yeah, so I got fifth in the Europeans, which I was very happy with. And unfortunately, I've, I've had a difficult time since then. So um, the last competitions I haven't done very well at, unfortunately. Um, but I've had a, enough time to to improve and get better. I had a good development block and um, to get in good shape um, for the World Games and for the Europeans in August. So they're 10 days apart from each other. So they're right next to each other. So I love it. Yeah. And off mic, he was slandering his coaches, saying <laughs> if they don't get their act together, <laughs> it's not going to be on his head. <laughs> um, I just, just for a, a little word, is I, I help out with Connor's coaching a little bit. So I'm <laughs> slating myself there. I'm not trying to dig at anyone who's listening. Definitely going to come back to me that. Um, Josh, you are a newcomer to judo. Why judo? How have you found yourself coming along to this session, having your poor mind poisoned by my nonsense? <laughs> yeah, so I originally started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu probably going back a year and a half ago or so. Um, inconsistently, as per usual. Um, and I found myself obviously with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You do bits of takedowns here and there. Um, but it's not the main focus, it's obviously focused on the groundwork. Um, so that's why I kind of sought, sought out to find some uh, some judo clubs. And obviously, because I'm already here at the University of Wolverhampton, um, and British judo is literally at the, the front door, I thought that's going to be ideal. Good quality coaching, good quality uh, training partners. Oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a... Uh, 
that's kind of the main reason. And how have you how have you found the two have mashed together so far? Like I know you, you you said eighteen months into BJJ, you're only like maybe four months into judo, and unfortunately, yeah. I think I'm I don't know if I'm your sole experience of judo, but <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, so you've been my one and only coach, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's gone really well. I think there's definitely a really good transfer there. Um, especially with you know certain throws like I know we've been working a lot lately on um, my Ashu Ashiwaza, probably butchering the name there, uh, <laughs> but but yeah that kind of works in really well uh, and just the general transitions as well to the groundwork so it's been quite a smooth transition. Connor, you're starting to go the other way a little bit. Like I know you're a big yeah. fan of Niwaza and you're starting to dabble a bit in BJJ. What is it about BJJ that's attractive to you? Uh, so I say there's probably there's, there's two things. Uh, one of them, which is probably the priority at the minute, is to use BJJ uh, aspects to improve my judo, to give me the best chance for qualifying for the games. And the other part of it is that I do just enjoy the, the, the more groundwork, as you said, I like the name was, and um, I can train in BJJ. And, and I feel like not being able to see anything is doing groundwork where it, so in judo if you get thrown and you land on your back that's game over you know it's the end, it's it's the worst thing that can happen to you in a competition but in bjj if someone catches you um it's not the end of the world you carry on on the floor and you've got a lot of time and it suits me in that i would say i don't want to upset anybody but it does suit me a lot better in that in that respect i think one of the things that i noticed and i know you talked about it when we recorded this last week and I decided it was a crap <laughs> um, was that you like the connection the, like the actual additional connection you get on the ground it's easier for you to feel yeah, where your yeah. opponent is yeah so I'm still getting used to uh, not being able to see uh, anything and over the past couple of years it's been it's been quite challenging um, to get my orientation back um, and know where people are when you stood up and you fighting sometimes at arm's length and people are at different distances they drop for you know Marotti and Aggies and Tom and Aggies it, it's been really difficult for me to anticipate and know what people are doing uh, and it's been a big downfall in my judo but when I'm training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu I don't have to worry about that and I can just enjoy grappling and get better at the same time love it so back to you Josh what are like the main challenges you know you, you come into judo with a little bit of experience of BJJ what are the main kind of barriers? How is it different? What are the main challenges that judo presents you? Like how has that kind of transfer gone? Yeah, so I think in terms of challenges, I would say obviously there's definitely going to be a, you know, the language, the language barrier to an extent. So obviously the 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 names of the different moves or the different you know submissions or whatever or throws, they're kind of very simple in jiu-jitsu. Um, also, it can be confusing. They don't always have the right name for what they are, but that's a, that's a, that's a totally different story. Um, so yeah, I think there are obviously the, the technical terms. Obviously, the, you know, judo being Japanese, um, having to learn that is obviously a bit more tricky. Um, and as well, I think. So do you have a preference there? Do you prefer the, the Japanese? Are you saying the BJJ is too simple? It doesn't necessarily reference what the move is. Yeah, I mean, I actually do like the I do like the Japanese terms for the moves. So I think, yeah, I, I like I like that aspect of it. I, I'm not sure what it is about it. I don't know whether it's because it's traditional in a sense, but I do like that. Um, 
yeah, like I, I find myself often rather than saying what we'd call scarf hold, uh, saying Kizukatami. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, that does resonate. <laughs> I don't know. I, for me, and again, I know we talk about this all the time because I love getting into their intricacies. Is I do recognise that the language is a a boon to the sport in that you uchimata is uchimata across the world. You know, within like four or five different variations. Yeah, everybody who does judo and knows what uchimata is is going to do the same kind of thing. But I do think it's a barrier. Like for people getting in, I think it it adds a it'd be it'd be great, I think, if the English translations were more accessible, more used. Because I think it'd be easier to bring Connor, you look like you're desperate to say something. <laughs> ah, I was just to be honest, I was gonna take the Mickey. What like I normally do. But it, yeah, like in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and there's lots of other things where it applies as well, like strength and conditioning. Like my background's in strength and conditioning, and everyone's got a different name for the same thing. Yeah. And when I can't see what someone's doing, it's so confusing. And they could be doing something where it's like, you know, a back squat. Someone's going to call it something really weird. It's just a back squat. <laughs> just call it a back squat. And in BJJ, we've got things like the Americana. You know, I'll get a bit confused there. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> we're having Americana now. Like, Sat here with a coffee. Yeah, yeah like, we're um, not guys. I've not splurged to getting the guys a coffee. Don't be <laughs> that. This this podcast costs nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, but to be fair, all you have to do is just if, watch what the person's doing. I know it sounds a bit weird me saying that. Watch what the person's doing, um, or get them to do it on you, and you'll be able to know what it is straight away, and you'll learn what they call it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've got some weird names. Something called the Wizard. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like you know, that's a bit weird. But yeah, it's it's good though. But like you said, Uchimata is Uchimata, no yeah. matter where you go. Haragoshi is Haragoshi, and and that, I know what you mean. It's easier to okay. understand judo language. So, whilst learning the language for you, Josh, has been a challenge in itself. Mm. Like you like that traditional element of it. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing Connor saying that the potential differences between clubs in names of certain moves or certainly between people calling things different things is a barrier in BJJ as well. Wasn't expecting this to go this direction. <laughs> indoctrinated you enough to all agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, we know what Connor's got coming up. What about yourself, Josh? Do you see yourself uh, competing in BJJ, judo? Like, What's the, what's the plans? Yeah. Um, I definitely probably going to be the end of the year. Don't quote me on this. I'm going to lock up <laughs> We're going to hold it. This is recorded now, and people are going to listen to this. I know, I know. It's uh, it's going to go all around, isn't it? But I'm hoping all three listeners. <laughs> I'm hoping to compete by the end of the year jiu-jitsu and I am definitely considering now uh, doing a judo comp at some point. Love it. So I think I've kind I've been of working on him, trying course. to rope him into box next year for the Q grade box event. Yeah, but we'll yeah. get there. Got to get more grading first. Yeah, definitely got to get your grade up. <laughs> um, how about yourself, Connie? You've talked about Europeans. You've talked about the worlds coming up. Is that all you've got before the end of the year? Um, or again, is it the, you're in a current training block at the moment? Yeah. What does it look like after that? Um, so August is going to be like the competition month. There's two. You know, as we've already said, there's two there. In September, there's one at the end of September. Um, that's in Azerbaijan. And the one in Japan, I think, is early December. 
So there's another two which are a bit more spread out. Love it. Uh, but yeah, it's all with the VI judo. There isn't um, one. You, you can't really miss anything because there's not many events. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that when we get to Azerbaijan, uh, it's double points. Yeah. So it's even more important to, to try and do well there. Love it. Um, what are we thinking for Paris? We're going beyond there. Is is LA beckoning? Or again, are your uh, you know sights solely on the Paris games yeah, at the moment? I, this is probably the wrong place to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we like. We right. like revelations on the podcast. I am considering what I'm going to do after judo. Okay. Because, you know, I love it and I've had some fantastic experiences and I really am determined to try and qualify for Paris. Um you know, as long as I leave it, as long as I do what I can, I'll be happy. Um, as long as I can't look back and go, I should have done that, then I'll be happy. But yeah, I am considering what to do after judo, after next year, yeah. yeah oh, and then you, you think that is going to be after next year? You, Possibly. You don't think you've got another Paralympic cycle? I don't know. I, I have to think about it seriously, but I am trying to, I am sorting out my career sort of uh, awesome. pathway. After judo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say too much because I don't want people coming after me. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Get him out of it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want people get chasing me down, telling me I've got to do this and I've got to do that. So, yeah, but it's, it's good though, um, and I'm focused on Paris, so I'm trying to focus on the, on, on that rather than what's after. Whether it's Paris, whether it's LA, do you see yourself staying in the sport, or again, do, is BJJ more accessible? Again, I'm probably going to get shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I don't. Think, I think it's. I think it's a really interesting point. Like one of the things over the last few years is the growth of BJJ has been like phenomenal. Yeah. And it's much. really interesting to, for you, like VI judo. I think has a, you know, there's not a huge body of people, but it's no. quite a strong sport in the yeah, UK. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that you feel like. BJJ as a sport is more accessible to you? I'd say it's more accessible, yeah, I would say so. Whether that's because I've lost my sight at a later stage, mm-hmm. I don't know. Whether I just feel more comfortable with that um, as, a, you know, as, as a style where getting caught by something that you don't notice coming is the end of the match yep. is, is, is a frustrating factor for me. Um, as much as I try not to do that, it happens... Um, so I think there's that aspect. You get more time. Um, similarities are judo atmosphere is brilliant. Everyone's amazing, and the same in BJJ. Everyone's very welcoming and, and, and open to open to people. Yeah. Um, as far as the VI sport goes, I'm, what, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say. Go on, go go. So you can say whatever. I, like, I think, uh, I think, this is not regulated yeah. by the VGA okay, or the okay, you know, IBSA or the IGF, but they will hear it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I think there's far too much cheating in VIG, though. Yeah, we've, we have talked about that yeah, before. Yeah, we talked about it yeah. last time. There's, te- there's people taking the piss. Yeah. And as someone who's who's lost my sight completely, I, I find it a joke. Yeah. And I think there's so many people. That, uh, and it, and it, it irritates me. It really irritates me. I get asked why, but I think you can't understand unless you've been through that people walk into the middle of the mat they're supposed to be in the j1 category like they come up to you and recognize you they drop their airpods in the warm-up area go find them it's like come on guys yeah you don't get none of that in bjj because i didn't know bjj it's just normal <laughs> Every, everyone competes against each other but that that's definitely a frustrating factor for me um, i wonder and again we'll come back to josh in a second like for me as an older 
athlete, not an athlete anymore as a coach, like it is harder to stay involved in judo because the risk of injury feels so much greater if things go wrong. Like, and I know it's not, I know BJJ has had its own litany of horrific things happen, unfortunately. <laughs> the neck break thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but again, it's it, because you haven't got the impacts, because you maybe haven't, don't, don't have the, the twist in knees, it feels like safer to take part in. Um, again, I'm 15 years older than you, Connor. You know, like I can see where you're coming from, though. Like that, that's definitely another. I've definitely like been smashed in the face last year in BJJ, um, and I've not been dropped on my head as many times. So <laughs> I can see where you're coming from. But then, Josh, coming into the sport, is that something you're aware of? Like I, again, having coached BJJ players before as part of a judo club, people almost come in with a, a sense of fear. As in, they're expecting something to get injured. They're, there's a m much smaller knowledge base of how to break fall, of how to land safely, so that you know you're you're not breaking your body. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think there's always going to be, especially the older you get, as you mentioned. You know, I think the older you get, you're more receptive to to the environment you're in as well, and you understand the. Potential risk. You've probably, you know, everyone's in the fails. Can I, can I just point out that these two guys are both in like mid twenties, talking about the older you get. I'm, I'm in my forties, guys. I'm very aware of this. Sorry, Josh. Carry on. No, um, no. I think, I think it's just one of those. You, you just, you're aware of your surroundings. You're aware of the risks of, um, you know, if if you don't break fall properly, you're probably gonna have a bit of a, bit of a bad neck, a bit of a, you know, even potentially concussion in some cases. Um, but I think, I think, I think for me as well. I think obviously coming from a sports science background, I understand that, especially when you're standing up, there's a, a you know, there's a greater amount of force and velocity that's mm -hmm. involved uh, yeah. uh, compared to when you're on the ground. It's a little bit more of a grind, a little bit more, what you term in isometric yeah, <laughs> yeah, in jiu-jitsu. But I think yeah, that that would be my kind of perspective on it. Yeah. But it hasn't swayed me from it because at the same time, if you don't learn those skills, if you don't learn how to, you know, um, if you don't learn how to brace, how to break fall, it's just going to do you disservice because at the same time in jiu-jitsu, you start off standing. Yeah. And if you don't know how to throw someone, if you, you know, and you don't know how to land, um, you're going to be limited to an extent in competition, I think. We, we were talking earlier about how, like, things like the language are the same in judo across the world. Um, one of the other similarities is that you know, a component of the warm-up. Uh, basically, every session you ever take um, involves some kind of rolling, some kind of breakfall or gymnastic movement. Um, and that's for judo. Like, do you see that in BJJ? And again, I, I know you've got less experience and you, you, you've got a few clubs that you go to, but is it a part? Is it a bigger part of the sport? Uh, again, it depends on the club you go to. At my own club, we pretty much have a standardised warm-up we do across because it's it, it's one, uh, it's kind of like, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, it's a group of clubs. Yeah. I can't remember what the word is now. Um, Gracie. Is it part of the it's, Gracie? It's great, Gracie Barrett, yeah. So. 
I didn't want to have, you, have you got all the patches? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got, all, I've got all the badges on here. Were you desperately trying not to say Gracie Barra? Baha. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> not only do I pronounce it wrong most of the time. Who called it Gracie Barba the other week? Someone, <laughs> someone, someone said that, I don't know who that was. Yeah. There's also like an Instagram page called like Gracie Garra, I think it is. <laughs> just, the whole time they're just posting memes about it. But, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, the, in terms of the warm-ups, I think, the benefit with judo, as you say, there's a lot more navigation style exercises to warm up with. You don't do as much of that sort of stuff in jiu-jitsu typically. Um, you know, you, you might do a little bit of break balls at the start, but you tend to do like maybe squats and a few other things. In terms of like rolling and cartwheels and all these kind of things that are pretty fundamental, you know, movements, you don't tend to do as much really. You tend to do a lot of shrimping. Yeah. The break falling is... Right. I think there's periods in judo where you're more likely to get injured. Yeah. Like one of them's definitely when you're a beginner. And if if you get thrown and you're stiff and you're rigid, like you're more likely to land awkwardly, I'd say. Yeah. Or if you curl up in a ball and you get thrown because you're not used to you're not used to doing even a forward roll can get you used to being thrown. Yeah. And if you curl up in a ball, land on your shoulders, or you're stiff, you're gonna hurt yourself. But if you do these things and you get used to like even you know when you do a handstand and you fall over, yeah. Like even that, it just makes it easier for you to to fall, less yeah. likely to hurt yourself. I like I like how you phrase that way of navigating, yeah, navigating your body, navigating how to land. Could we just come back to that idea around classification and um, fairness in VR judo, Connor? I know like when we've talked before, you've compared it to to, to doping. I think. Like drugs in sport are taken massively seriously as they should be. Um, you know, we want clean sports, but I think when it comes to uh, like what I was saying about VI judo, when people are either over exaggerating or pretending that they can't see as much as they can, I think that's not taken seriously, and I can't understand that. I, I think morally, that's definitely worse than taking steroids. You know, pretending to be blind is quite bad. Quite a bad thing to do. Um, you know, <laughs> and and it doesn't get taken. It's like accepted. You know, we know everyone does it, but we're not going to say anything. That's a, that's an extreme example because I know you're potentially speaking from your own personal experience. Yeah. Um, people, my interpretation is that people are perhaps playing the system by making out they're more. It's over exaggeration. More, yeah, more of a disability than they perhaps yes. have. That, that's it's mostly over exaggerating. There have been a few people where I have gone, you're literally taking, like, but mostly it seems to be just a large amount of just over-exaggeration. Yeah, I can't see that when, yeah. Is it something that, like, para-sport, VI-sport, because it's across all para-sports. It is, it is. It's yeah. not just, no, like, VI-sport, it's not just vi judo. Yeah. Um, classification is a massive factor. Yeah. Um, is it something you think they can get a handle on, or again, is it part yeah, of the sport that you'll go, like, this is it, when... I think there's always going to be a few people doing it, and, and there's realistically there's nothing you can do. Um, but years ago, there was people here doing a study, and I can't remember what they were doing, but they asked us athletes about it, and, and they were one-to-one -one interviews. And I, I said that you should watch these people mm -hmm. when they're not in classification, because what everyone does, I call it the sticks and sunglasses club, everyone turns up to classification. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> that might be the title of the episode. I might yeah. have re... Sticks uh, and sunglasses. It's not going to be the Connor and the news show. <laughs> it's going to be the sticks and sunglasses episode. Everyone everyone turns up sticks and sunglasses. And 
tripping over stuff, holding on to people. And the same people, when they, when it comes to the evening meal, walking around, picking up the food that they want, navigating around all the tables, finding their squad and sitting down next to the person they want to sit down next to. That's not the same person who came into the classification falling on his ass and t- telling people that he can't see. Like, do, do you see what I mean? It's a yeah, very massive um, thing. Do you think there could be a more rigorous system? Yes, similar? covertly. Oh, covertly. Covertly. Watch the starting do, to infringe on yeah. that. No, no. Do <laughs> it. In the, do it in the dinner place. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, for example, like, an, do you know like, the whereabouts system in doping? Yeah. Where yeah, do you that, have to yeah. like? I'm envisaging something similar yeah. to that where people could turn. I don't up think they should do it in private life, but I think when you're at the competition, yeah, at the meal, for example, because that's a really good one. I, as someone who used to be able to see, and has had varying levels of vision throughout my life, I know what you can and can't do when you can't see. Yeah, and if you can't see, you cannot go up in a busy restaurant, pick up the food you want, not walk into people, find your team, and sit next to people navigate around all the tables it might not be the best lighting if you can't see you you can't do that there's no ex, there's no reason that you can't do that it's impossible how many times have you been through classification two three two, two or three i think it's two okay and has that been since your sight has become worse one of them was when my sight was really bad and the other one was when it was non-existent Okay. So by the time I did my first classification, my sight had already deteriorated to a point where I didn't have really have much or any functional vision left. When when you go through the classification, are you conscious that, again, are you trying to exacerbate your like disability, as it <laughs> no. were, again? Or, no, because I don't need to, because yeah, actually, yeah. I actually can't see. Okay, but you, you're talking about there being two different, you've been through it twice. Yeah. Okay, are you are you perhaps anxious or nervous the first time or the second time? Or again, are you, are you, are you, this is asking about your personal ethics. Do you personally do you feel that don't like, feel anxious? No. Yeah, because it, I I just like I don't feel the need to do that because I, I can't see. And, and when I first did it, I could see the lights and, and the colours, and that was it. And I just said, yeah, I can see that. But okay. I can't see this. And they looked at the back of my eye, and they could see it. And it's, you know, it's ob- it's obvious. Yeah. Um, but when it's less obvious, and when people can see more, it's like it's a bit more difficult. Because again, it's not just a clear cut decision. No. There, yeah. There's a physical assessment as well as like. But that doesn't always you. tell you how much someone can see. Yeah. As well, that's the problem with the medical stuff. It's you can't always tell exactly how much function someone has by looking at the retina, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a difficult one, but that's why I think watch what someone does when you're not when you're not testing them. You know, when, when they don't feel that they need to do that. Yeah, when when, when they, they don't feel that they have to perform. Yeah, when they when not not performing, because I think I think um, there would be a different. Uh, I think we'd have a different thing in VI judo if they did that. Yeah, I really do. Again, I think we talked about it last time. They have this Olympic cycle changed the yeah. way that athletes compete. Yes. Um, is it better now better. than it's been before? Better. Yeah. And you've got more experience of competing now yeah. than, than previously. Yeah, I think it's somewhat better 
Um, and it, the first couple of competitions I did, it was like there wasn't anyone, and then it started creeping in again. Okay. It, and it it was like, I think people were a bit worried because they were being strict at first. And I think so. Was it the third competition I did? I think there was one in Kazakhstan. There was there was. That's when it started to get bad again. Yeah, certain athletes that you felt managed to get I mean, under it's just radar. so obvious. Like, I think if you know what blind is, the average member of the public who's never had any experience wouldn't wouldn't be able to tell possibly. Yeah. But I think for people like my parents can sit, can watch the stream or sit in the audience, and they can eat immediately. Well, I've had friends message me and go, I can see that person can see. Yeah, how are you competing with yeah. that person? Yeah, I, I, because they know. Yeah. They know. But mm-hmm. the average member of the public would probably be a bit, they just wouldn't know because they don't have the experience with it. But yeah, I've had loads of people message me and say, Connor, what's going on there? I've just watched him, he's just done this and that. And I'm like, yeah, can't say anything. <laughs> coming in, coming yeah. into the worlds and Europeans, though, how do you manage that? How do you manage knowing that there are people out there, whether it is classification, whether it's doping? You know, para sport is only growing and yeah. only becoming more important. And where there's money, you know, where there's TV rights and things uh-huh. like that, people are always going to be willing to bend the rules, of break course. the rules. Yeah. How do you manage that yourself? Like when you go out on the map, what in terms of like? How I feel about it. Yeah. Or... How do you get on with the contest and not get uh, set? And to let to be honest, I just I try and forget about it. Like I'm there to enjoy myself and do the best that I can, and that's it for me. I'd say it annoys me less than it used to. When but when someone does something, I do get quite pissed off. Yeah. Um, but in the contest, it is kind of irrelevant. If I, but it helps to know who's doing it as well because it does change the way that they do judo. Yeah. And and it does impact. You have to know. It's all right people saying, oh, it doesn't matter. But it does matter. And and it changes the way people do judo. Interesting. Um, so in that, from a tactical sense, it also makes sense for me to know who's doing it as well. You know, so I'm, I'm aware as well of that. Yeah. From a tactical point of view on the mat. Um in terms of like, you know, they're going to find it easier to find your feet. You know, they're going to be able to drop the stuff in, in slightly better positions. You know, they know where you are. Yeah. So it does make sense to know who's doing it as well. From, from Not just from an irritation point, but from a tactical perspective. Definitely. You need to know who's doing it. It's a very different issue, um, but I'm aware Josh has sat here quietly for two minutes. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask about it. Sandbagging in BJJ. Like where people deliberately stay, you know, as a lower belt, a lower grade. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you've come across? I was about to say, I've actually got an interest. <laughs> I've got an interest in. Um, Have you not heard of that, Connor? No. It's, it's, so I was like, what's sandbagging? <laughs> one, one of the great things about BJJ, certainly as an adult, is there's loads of opportunities for people to compete against other people of a similar level. So yeah. white belt events, blue belt events, you know, purple belt events. Um, all the way up to world-level events at each of these stages. Sandbagging is this idea that um, you can go and be a white belt world champion and a blue belt world champion. Now, really, if you're a white belt world champion, you are so far above white belt that you shouldn't even be there, realistically. Yeah, so I've, I've definitely got personal experience where I've had opponents sandbag against me. So for the first two comps I've done so far... Um, I competed as white belt, of course. Um, as I say, 18 months I've been doing jiu-jitsu now. 
and my last two opponents have been doing it for like three years, three and a half years, something like that. Um, and also because the last one I competed in was Nogi, the thing about Nogi, because it's, you technically, you you have got a rank, you have got your belt, but you could be like a blue belt in Nogi and still get away with being a white belt, if that makes sense, because you don't have to wear a belt. Uh, and that's what you kind of see at the top level in like the ADCC as well. You know, you had uh, Nicky Rod, Nicky Rodriguez. He um, he was a, a, a what was it, Division One wrestler or something. Yeah. Um, blue belt in Jiu Jitsu, but because he competed in Nogi, he was going up against black belts and destroying them. So I, th- I think with yeah, especially with the Nogi scene, it's a lot more prevalent. So if he competes in pure Jiu Jitsu, he'll come up against blue belts, and then he's goes to the ADCC and you see him wrecking black belts yeah. right okay I'm with you yeah I mean yeah theoretically that's what could happen I, th- I think the issue is as well there's, lot, there's not necessarily a standardised ranking across mm-hmm. all clubs you know my club we do it a particular way and it's not even just between like the you know the Gracie Barrow in my case because each Gracie Barrow does it different as well so again it's it's a bit awkward to say how do you know if someone's a true white belt or a, a true blue belt yeah um, so yeah but again you, in regards to rank you get similar issues in judo like I think I think within senior judo sandbagging is less of an issue um, because Q grades tend to have a lot less experience um, I think yeah you, you do see it a little bit more in kids where there's a difference between like orange belt events, blue belt events, and then you get the brown and downgrade events for the younger guys. And, and, and I am aware of people keeping kids back so they can rack up medals and trophies. Yeah. Um, but again, in terms of like, there's no standard brown belt. No. You know, there's no standard blue belt or downgrade across the world. And it, it, it can be an issue. Like, you know, um, you go into a new club and the, the downgrade there is not the kind of downgrade you're used to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like how how do BJJ manage it? How do BJJ manage people? Yeah. Or again, do they let you get a whip in and just encourage you to come back? It's It really depends on the club, I'd say. Because like in our one, because um, again, this is something, this is another way people will do it. They'll go, they'll bounce between different clubs. So they always reset as a white belt each time. Um, and they can get away with it, you see. Like as um, we had a white belt do it, so I won't name him for you know <laughs> <laughs> for confidentiality reasons. But uh, he he basically he gone to a load of MMA clubs and doing all this sort of stuff, and he was training for years and years. Um, and basically, he come to our club as a white belt, and then within the first couple of months, he just got put to blue belt because he was like his skill level was a blue belt. Yeah, yeah but he yeah, was yeah. he was. He, per- he even admitted it to me. He purposely done it. Oh, he did. So, he actually set out. Oh, to do yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So did in competition, you get the advantage. Oh, again. So my my, my brother was a, a purple belt for a long, long time. Um, despite being uh, judo, like you know, competed at GB Junior internationally. Um, he fought PFL, Bellator, in MMA. Like. He's solid on the ground, but he would never get a solid block of BJJ training under one coach. And that generally generally meant it took him a very long time until like someone felt they'd seen him consistently enough to promote him up the rank. Um, 
yeah, I suppose that's that, that's another concern, isn't it? Um, especially when you got guys that have been doing you know ten plus years. If you're a judo black belt, what is he about ten years maybe yeah. on average? Similar, probably similar to jiu-jitsu, but yeah, like ten years. Uh, Samu a wrestler. If, you, if you're a high level wrestler, that's why like in jiu-jitsu you have to be. If you've got a black belt, or if you're a, I think it was like division one wrestler, you've done ten years in wrestling. You have to compete in blue belt. Because if they find out you've competed as a white belt, that is one way they manage it in competition. Yeah. If you, you know, if you compete as a white belt and then they find out that you have got that background, they'll just disqualify you. So they are trying to protect the less experienced guys yeah. to, to some degree. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely do that, which is obviously good. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I guess, developing some kind of system or screening where, you know, they can't be bouncing around clubs. Like if you if you go on like we got something called CompNet where you can, and I think it's the same with judo. But you can pick, you know, you can look at your competition history and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your wins, your losses. And you can actually see how many clubs someone's been at as well. And that kind of gives it away because if they've been at one club for one or two years, okay, it might not have been fully consistent training. But then they've also done that at another club. Yeah. They're going to have some, you know, they're going to have a significant period of time on the mat, aren't they? Um, so, yeah. I feel I should say, my brother, it might have been from blue to purple rather than purple to brown. I've got no idea what, what grade he is right now. <laughs> Definitely, he might listen to this, he might come back, he might be one of my three listeners. <laughs> um, guys, that's been amazing. Connor, I know you're going on to the, the BJJ session shortly. So I just want to say thank you very much, but it'd be great to catch up with you after the Europeans all the worlds and uh, come in and check on check on us yeah um cool. absolute pleasure though mate um josh i know you wanted to tell us about your only fans <laughs> <laughs> he thought i'd forgotten he said oh, this last no. week and now he's embarrassed <laughs> yeah if anyone wants to buy any used skis just come to me <laughs> oh my god that is nasty oh man <laughs> oh, now i have to put parental advisory on the episode josh thanks for that mate appreciate it um guys absolute pleasure thank you very much uh, i will see you boys next week on tuesday five yes. o'clock same time same place same back channel thanks Cheers, josh. guys um hope you've enjoyed that listening at home all the usual nonsense like subscribe blah 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 i will catch you soon